0: This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America.
1: Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jackson Vungani and here is what is coming up.
2: I think
3: we're facing a crisis in terms of double standards and hypocrisy being leveled by African states against the West, and by the West against African states.
1: That is Priyal Singh, a researcher at South Africa's Institute for Security Studies on efforts to ease sanctions against Zimbabwe. All of this and more coming up on African News Tonight. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres opened a Security Council meeting with the top Russian and U.S. diplomats today, by calling for talks on a nu- of a nuclear conflict totally unacceptable. He urged accountability for what he called a catalogue of cruelty in the invasion of Ukraine. Gutierrez said that includes reports of summary executions, sexual violence, torture, and other inhumane degrading treatment against civilians and prisoners of war. France, the current head of the Security Council, called a session on accountability in Ukraine during the UN General Assembly. French Foreign Minister Catherine Colonna told reporters before entering the session that there is no peace without justice. Ukraine and outside observers have blamed Russia for numerous human rights violations since it invaded Ukraine seven months ago. Moscow has denied repeatedly the allegation and accused Ukraine and the West of threatening its territorial integrity. Earlier, I spoke with VOA UN correspondent Margaret Bashir about another busy day at UN headquarters in New York. So, Margaret, there is a ministerial meeting in the UN Security Council this morning on Ukraine. What is the focus of the meeting?
4: Well, it's sort of a combination. It was originally supposed to be about impunity in the war for war crimes, atrocities. Think about the uh, mass graves we've heard. Uh, uh, heard about in Bucha and Mariupol and Izyum. Uh But in light of President Putin's uh, remarks on Wednesday, uh, uh, kind of making nuclear threats and talking about mobilizing 300,000 more troops and his plans to hold uh, what he's calling referendums in uh, four areas, occupied areas of Ukraine, the focus of this meeting has shifted a little bit. And so it's covering everything uh, at this moment.
1: And what specifically are the council members saying Well, there's a lot of concern, of course, about all the things I just
4: mentioned, especially uh, the possibility of a nuclear accident or incident. Uh, The Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, spoke to the meeting, and he said that the idea of nuclear conflict used to be unthinkable, and now it's become a subject of debate. And he said that in itself is just totally unacceptable, and that all nuclear-armed states should recommit to the use, to the non-use, excuse me, and total elimination of nuclear weapons. And uh, we heard from... Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, the American Secretary of State, he said that uh, instead of changing course, Putin is doubling down and expanding the war by calling up uh, more troops and such. And he said, by doing all of this, making these announcements this week when the world is gathered at the United Nations, he's showing uh, utter contempt for the UN and uh, for the international order that other nations are trying to uphold. And he said, we won't let Putin get away with it.
1: Who is uh, representing Russia at the meeting? Is Minister Lavrov in attendance? And
4: so what? Lavrov is going to speak at the meeting. We haven't seen him in the room just yet, uh, but he's on the speakers list and he's in the building. We've seen him. So basically, he's not sitting in there listening to everybody talk badly about his country. He's, he's sent someone else to do that part. But I expect him to, to give a strong uh, speech. You know, he's, he's very well known for being a very outspoken uh, diplomat and foreign minister, and he will certainly uh, give as good as he gets.
1: That was VOA UN correspondent Margaret Bashir speaking to me from UN headquarters in New York. At the United Nations General Assembly, some African leaders today called for immediate help on climate change and economic crisis. Mohamed Bezoum, president of Niger, warned that prolonged droughts brought by global warming threatened pastoral farming in West Africa and helping turn young people to extremist groups. He said the world must help to reduce the effects of climate change and to educate millions of youth in the Sahel. For the nations, for the international community. Speaking in French, President no. Bazoum says for the United Nations, for the international community, talking about terrorist violence is not enough. He says nations must act by investing in the necessary resources in education to fight against today's violence and prevent tomorrow's violence. Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mohamud also called for more action on climate change.
3: Somalia, for the first time, we've established a new Ministry of Environment and Climate Change to lead on the urgent process of addressing the devastating impact of our national and regional environmental deterioration. Somalia is caught between floods and droughts annually owing to climate change and poor infrastructure. Our people who have a long tradition of living harmoniously with the nature and apparently contributing to poisonous emissions, warming the earth, are the ones that
1: are paying with their lives today. Adama Barrow, the president of Gambia, said today that rising global inflation is holding poor communities to ransom, adding to misery spawned by food insecurity, the energy crisis and natural disasters around the world. He also blasted Russia's invasion of neighboring Ukraine, saying the conflict between some of the world's biggest grain and fertilizer producers imposes unbearable economic costs on poor nations. In
3: Africa and elsewhere, the cost of living crisis and between inflation, with food and emerging insecurity and devastating our economies and continue to frustrate pandemic recovery efforts. Additionally, the debt burden has reached crisis level. We call for general debt relief.
1: For more on the UN General Assembly, be sure to check out voaafrica.com and voanews.com. And you'll find more reporting on the Assembly on all of VOA Africa's radio and TV programs, as well as our social media pages. Authorities in Cameroon say they have arrested three soldiers for shooting dead two unarmed women in a village in the country's northeast, sorry northwest. Activist groups accuse Cameroon's military of killing scores of villagers in raids this month to root out suspected rebel supporters, a charge the government denies. Moki Edwin Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé. Cameroon's military
3: says three members of its airborne battalion this week attacked civilians and killed two mothers in Nibat, an English-speaking village in Andek district. A statement signed Wednesday by military spokesperson Serge Cyrilla Tongfak says the troops were dispatched to fight separatists in the troubled northwest region. The troops violated others from military hierarchy and started shooting indiscriminately on civilians, the military says, adding that one of the shooters killed two harmless mothers. The government says family members of the killed mothers rushed to the scene and collected corpses when the government troops left. Diane Gecker is a family member of one of the killed mothers. She says civilians sealed their businesses and refused to go to their farms for three days as a sign of protest to Monday's killings. It's disturbing that the military, which is supposed to protect us, is against us women. It's not safe anymore for anybody. When you see military, you run, whether you are innocent or not. You just need to run helter-skelter. Ngeke spoke via the messaging app WhatsApp from Andek. She said, business activity resumed timidly on Thursday. The government said it arrested the three troops that opened fire on unarmed civilians. Aeyong Ta, an official with the Center for Human Rights and Democracy in Africa, says rights groups in Cameroon will continue exerting pressure until the military punishes all of its troops that have committed atrocities. They have a worry whether the culprits will be brought to book because similar cases have taken place. But we don't know what has happened to the perpetrators. And that is why I think the others are still doing the activity because they know that they may not actually be punished as deserved. Ta did not give details on the type of pressure rights groups intend to exert. Activist groups also accused Cameroon government troops deployed to secure schools When the school year opened on September 5, of killing scores of villagers in western towns and villages, including Andek, Wum, Boyu, Bamenda and Kumba, the military describes the accusations as unfounded but promises to punish troops that killed civilians in Andek. The government does not say what the punishment will be and the accused soldiers whereabouts remain unknown. In April, Cameroon government also acknowledged that soldiers killed three women and ten children in a February massacre that they then tried to cover up by torching houses and blaming rebels. Rights groups have repeatedly accused both Cameroon's military and Anglophone separatists of killing civilians and torching their homes during the five-year conflict. Both sides reject the accusations as intended to tarnish their image. Moki, Edwin Kinzuka, for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon.
1: The World Health Organization says Malawi has become the first country in Southern Africa to eliminate trachoma, the leading infectious cause of blindness. Malawi becomes the fourth country in Africa to stamp out the bacterial infection after Ghana, Gambia and Togo. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre in
2: Malawi. The World Health Organization says in a statement that Malawi has been known to be endemic for trachoma since the 1980s. It says the disease received due attention in 2008 following a survey conducted in support of the WHO, and savers in a government organization. Their findings forced the country to step up efforts against trachoma by establishing a national task force which implemented the WHO-recommended strategy known as SAFE to control the spread of the disease. The SAFE strategy comprises provision of surgery, antibiotics to clear the infection, facial cleanliness, and environmental improvement, through access to water and sanitation. Bright Juawula is country director for site savers in Malawi. He says besides the safe strategy, the achievement is also as a result of several elements, including training of surgeons and promotion of good hygiene education.
3: Another element is where we ensure that we had a, a monitoring mechanism in place. That was effective and efficient uh, in making sure that we were able to track uh, whatever was happening uh, in the country as regards trachoma elimination. But also, we were managing the resources uh, for this particular
2: project. Trachoma is one of a number of neglected tropical diseases and is endemic in nearly half the countries in Africa. Malawi is now the fourth country in Africa to stamp out the bacterial infection mainly found in poor areas after Ghana, Gambia, and Togo. In a statement Wednesday, Malawi President Lazarus Chakwera paid special tribute to the community health workers, many of them women whom he said played an instrumental role in freeing millions of citizens from so much misery caused by these diseases. Chakwera said he hopes such an achievement would be replicated in the fight against other neglected tropical diseases or NTDs like scabies Stitosomiasis and river blindness. Caroline Harper, CEO of Sightsavers, told the Thursday that her organisation is working towards that.
5: The great news is that Malawi is very close to eliminating river blindness, and Sightsavers in Malawi are helping the ministry to do that. And We're actually working in 30 countries on NTDs across the whole of Africa.
2: Harper said Sightsavers made a commitment at a global summit in Rwanda in June, to invest at least 20 million U.S. dollars in the fight against neglected tropical disease, but adds the organization is hoping to raise far more than that in the future. Lamit Masina for VUE News, Blanta, Malawi.
1: You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Jackson Vonganyi in Washington. According to the Women in Global Health Initiative... Women healthcare workers often face sexual exploitation, abuse, and harassment. In an effort to get more of such cases reported, the organization has launched a new platform and research project entitled #Health2 to document allegations of abuse. Mavis Okere in Huaso in the Ashanti region of Ghana has more on this story.
0: The platform is now open for individual story contribution from September 5th to November 30th. The project will enable women health workers to share their stories freely under condition of anonymity without the risks of job security or retaliation by their employer. And Kalen is a senior fellow for women in Global Health based in the United Kingdom. She says in 2021 her organization launched an effort called the Gender Equal Healthcare and Welfare Initiative to prevent violence and sexual harassment against women healthcare workers. She says abuse against them was a source of concern for all of the group's 41 national chapters which are based mostly in low and middle-income countries. With the situation being exacerbated during the COVID-19 pandemic, she says the platform would enable them to get women to bring their stories to the attention of policymakers, noting that claims are usually not backed with data and are therefore not treated seriously. She says they have found out that nurses in particular are in the front line of harassment from colleagues, male patients and by men in the community.
5: The main cause is where women are in health. Women tend to be in the lowest paid job, men in top, more powerful jobs. Where you have a power imbalance, you're more likely to get this form of abuse. It's also because with health workers, they work up close to people And so they can be more in line for abuse. And I think one of the real reasons that this continues is that there is no data and therefore there is no accountability. Our feeling is that it won't be taken seriously.
0: Kaelin says sexual exploitation, abuse and harassment against women health workers do not only harm them, it also harms health systems and patients. Because there are one or two studies where you can see the
5: impact on nurses and how it actually impacts on patient care. If you have a nurse that is abused, frightened, her morale will be low, and eventually that would impact
0: on patient care. She says there ought to be measures and policies in various organizations to change the narrative. Noting that last year, the International Labour Organization put out the first ever convention related to violence and harassment in the workplace. She says the convention known as ILO 190 has since been signed by 20 countries to help put in place legal frameworks against violence. Kaylin says because more than 50 countries do not have a legal framework, organizations lack the incentive to protect their workers. She encourages various governments to sign up to the ILO Convention, noting that Somalia and the Central African Republic have now signed it. Governments
5: and organisations need to keep data so that we can see the extent of the problem. And the data will not only record the number of cases divided by men and women, but what happened to those cases, how many of those cases were prosecuted, have perpetrators lost their jobs. We need to know what the outcomes were and then we need organisational change, especially culture change.
0: About 62% of 330,000 health workers across a range of countries have reported work-related violence and harassment in a single year, according to the Journal for Occupational and Environmental Medicine. Reporting for VOA, this is Mavis in Indraso in the Ashanti region of Ghana.
1: A court in Burkina Faso has convicted three former presidential guards of involvement in the slaying of a student leader in May 1990. Abdelman kidnapped Bokari Dabo, then took him to a camp run by a presidential security regiment where he was tortured. The French news agency AFP says the guards worked in the government of former President Blaise Campoare. They include General Gilbert Diendere, who is already serving a lifetime for his role in the assassination of President Thomas Sankara in a 1987 coup that brought Campori to power. Diendere was tried, starting Monday, for complicity in an illegal arrest and aggravated abduction and sentenced to 20 years in prison. AFP notes that the investigations began in 2000. Charges were finally brought in 2017 after a popular uprising toppled Campori's government. UN investigators are accusing the Ethiopian government of committing serious violations in the Tigray region, which could amount to war crimes and crimes against humanity. The International Commission of Human Rights Experts on Ethiopia submitted its first report today to the UN Human Rights Council. This is line reports for VOA from Geneva.
6: The three-member commission says widespread horrific acts of violence have been committed since fighting in Ethiopia's northern Tigray province broke out in November 2020. It finds neither the government nor the rebel Tigray People's Liberation Front has clean hands. However, it notes the government is responsible for most of the atrocities documented in the report, adding that some of these crimes are ongoing. The investigators blamed the government for the dire humanitarian situation in Tigray. The commission chair, Kari Bedi-Murungi, said the federal government and its allies have looted and destroyed goods indispensable for the survival of the civilian population. She added these and other tactics have left 90% of the population in desperate need of assistance. We have reasonable
0: grounds to believe that the widespread denial and obstruction of access to basic services, food, health care and humanitarian assistance amounts to the crime against humanity of persecution and inhumane acts. We also have reasonable grounds to believe that the federal government is committing the war crime of using starvation as a method of
6: warfare. Morungi noted the commission also has received information indicating that Tigrayan forces have looted or otherwise misappropriated humanitarian aid. She said there are reasonable grounds to believe the Ethiopian Air Force has committed war crimes, including intentional attacks against civilians and the use of armed drones against civilian targets, causing many civilian deaths and injuries. The commission also found that rape and crimes of sexual
0: violence have been perpetrated on a staggering scale since the conflict began. With Ethiopian and Eritrean forces and regional militia targeting Tigrayan women and girls with particular violence and brutality. At times the attackers used dehumanizing language that suggested an intent to destroy uh,
6: Tigrayan ethnicity. The commission said the Tigrayan forces also have committed serious human rights abuses, some of which amount to war crimes. It accused the forces of large-scale killings of Amhara civilians, rape and sexual violence, and widespread looting and destruction of property. The Ethiopian ambassador to the UN in Geneva, Zanibi Kabidi, said the allegations in the report were unsubstantiated, selective, discriminatory, and politically motivated. He said Ethiopia is committed to peacefully resolving the conflict in Tigray under the auspices of the African Union. He called on members of the Human Rights Council to reject the report and not to extend the mandate of the commission. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva.
1: And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Jackson Bunganyi in Washington. For all latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. We are also on all social media platforms at VOA Africa.
4: or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Ah! Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station.